Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast, live from New Zealand, I'm Ryan Dilks, and live from Derby, it's the European Super League to my championship, it's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? <laughs> I'm exhausted, um, I'm probably a little bit tipsy as well. Um, yeah, this is alright, this is good. I'm all right. Thank That's you. Exactly, you? <laughs> exactly what you want to hear heading into a podcast. I'm also exhausted, but for completely different reasons mm. to Justin Peach. So for people who listen to the end of Thursday's episode, you'll be aware that the original plan was for us to record, well, for me to record from San Francisco airport. And that plan went completely to shit very quickly. Um, as I say, I'm currently recording in New Zealand, but there's a cyclone which has hit New Zealand, meaning that I had to get... Our original plane was cancelled, so we got an earlier flight, so we actually ended up being here earlier than we expected. Um, However, now it's absolute chaos outside with high winds, rain going sideways and I imagine many listeners will be able to hear it during various points of this <laughs> recording but it also means that Justin is recording in England at three o'clock in the morning I think it is it's yeah it's three o'clock in the morning um the it's all right though you've just watched the Super Bowl so yes yeah that's the reason why I tipsy. I've been at, I've been in a bar watching the Super Bowl and I had to leave with eight minutes of the fourth quarter left. And by the time I left the car, there was seven seconds left. And I think Kansas City had just scored a field goal. So I don't know what the final score is, but Kansas City will win, I think, the Super Bowl. But we'll know more after we finish recording. Who did you want to win? Um, I mean, I wanted the Eagles to win because they were the underdogs. And they were they're far, much, much the better side throughout the, the whole, um, not the 90 minutes. I'm getting into character here. Um, <laughs> throughout the whole, the whole game, but, um, the Kansas City Chiefs turned it on in that fourth quarter brilliantly. They, they really, really turned up the heat. Um, I'm trying to, it's really hard to do this after three pints. I won't lie. You've got an hour to go. <laughs> also, we'll say, Obviously, this this episode's going out on Monday morning, in the very early hours of Monday morning. I think this is the first time we've not done an episode on Sunday, but I feel like a cyclone is quite a good reason for (laughs) us to delay doing a podcast, if you ask me, Justin. The final thing I will say is that, obviously, New Zealand is a bloody long flight. Um, I am just astonished at the unbelievable choice of movies on long-haul flights nowadays. Oh my god, it's amazing, Justin. You could watch Dark Knight Rises, Dark Knight, you could watch the latest Black Panther film, you could mm. watch Interstellar. It was it was incredible. I I would pay good money to watch any to have the streaming service that is on, you know, your average long haul flight. Have I ever told you about the story? We are going completely off topic here, <laughs> but have I ever told you about the story about the that it was actually the last time? I went to New Zealand on holiday. This was 15 years ago now. So it, planes and the entertainment was a long way off back in those days. One of the films you could watch, Snakes on a Plane, mm. which on a plane is anxiety. not. Yeah, it gives you a bit of anxiety, but that's nothing compared to one of the other options, Justin, which was, and I kid you not, a documentary on 9-11. Mm. Yeah. On a plane. It's it's like, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something. 
it's just not something you want to watch while you're in that you know potential Why scenario. Why would anyone want yeah. to watch that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, not one, not one for a plane flight. Um, maybe one for I don't know Sunday evening, but definitely not. Um, uh, yeah, plane flight. As I say, anxiety inducing, never ideal. Yeah. Anyway. Shall we crack on with things? Welcome to the number one championship <laughs> podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we're going to go through all the games in the championship from the past weekend when we eventually get through me and Justin going through all our, you know, administrative guff. <laughs> um, we'll also talk about some of the news from the past few days and then we'll finish off with some grace and hateful eight right at the end. So we'll start off with the relegation battle, shall we? Where Wigan beat Huddersfield 1-0. It's Wigan's first win in 11 and what a huge result this is for the Latics, Justin. Absolutely massive, absolutely massive. I don't think you can, um, I don't think you can, um, you know, talk it down. Really, I think the the fact that they kept another clean sheet under Sean Maloney is a, is another sign of of what needed addressing and what is being addressed addressed by by Maloney. And I think that is you know the solid building blocks being put in place, uh, and obviously to to score a goal from a set piece to to win one 0 take three points off a relegation rival is is monumental. Um, and I think that the way they approached the second half, I think first half was fairly open. Huddersfield had good chances, um, as did Wigan, but Wigan turned it up a notch and, and controlled the game much better than Huddersfield did in the second half. And that's what really brought them away. And obviously, I know they scored from a set piece, but it was certainly um, a much um, more one-sided second half uh, from a Wigan perspective than it was Huddersfield. Yeah, a massive, massive result for Wigan and especially when it comes at the expense of one of your chief relegation rivals. I've seen a lot of Wigan fans they have been getting very exercised on Twitter because we didn't include them in the poll last week, <laughs> which was ignoring Wigan, which of these teams is most likely to be relegated. We didn't include them because Sean Maloney had just been appointed and mm. not even managed a game yet. So quite hard to judge them uh, after literally zero games in charge with Sean Maloney. And we can only do four options. But a lot of Wigan fans thought we were saying they were already relegated. No. Not like football fans to completely overreact to something very minor on social media, but here we are. Um, but back on track, there are obvious signs of improvement under Sean Maloney with Wigan. In both games so far, against Blackburn as well as against Huddersfield, they haven't been amazing, but they've been solid. And that's a lot more than what we can say about Wigan this season, particularly under Colo Toro. They have had the, in fact, they still have the worst defensive record in the division, but they didn't concede or they haven't conceded a goal in their two games so far under Maloney. It's the first time this season they've recorded back-to-back clean sheets and they've only faced 14 shots across those two games. Now, this Wigan team isn't chock full of quality, let's be completely honest. So making games ugly isn't a bad tactic on Maloney's behalf because it is effective and it may just win them enough points to stay up. And, you know, it's got to be said, Blackburn aren't in great form right now. Huddersfield are in even poorer form. So Sean Maloney is by no means the saviour of Wigan Mm. Athletic so far, but it's definitely a good start. And I think that's exactly what you would have wanted from Sean Maloney and Wigan so far. Um, Huddersfield are now joint bottom of the league without a win in seven, without a manager and have an owner who's looking to sell. What a complete mess, Justin. It, it is a complete mess. I don't think you can really, um, again, similar to Wigan, I don't think you can really talk to over talk it too much because all of the evidence of, of the issues that have been present all season are, are there to be seen. Um, the lack of direction, the lack of accountability, the lack of um, creativity in, in attacking play. It, none of it's none of it's been resolved, uh, and no, uh, and no one has come out and said. This is this is an issue. This is a problem. We need to address it. No one has said that yet, which is really worrying for a team that are hurtling down to League One. Um, Dean Hoyle has been relatively reserved and quiet. I know he wants to sell the club, so he's not going to be too vocal. Lee Bromby hasn't taken responsibility for an atrocious um, summer period and two really bad appointments. Um, there's just a lot there that I'm 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 really raising my eyebrows about, and I don't think. I mean, I mean, there'll be no Huddersfield fan out there um, surprised at that either. So, yeah, the, the frustrating thing for me after this performance is just the lack of accountability. Because that second half performance against Wigan was was absolutely dreadful. They didn't show up, um, and again, the transfer business in well, not the tra- not necessarily transfer business, but allowing Sorba Thomas to leave is proving detrimental for me. It, they they were so blunt and boring going forward. Again, I felt like Thomas could have made a difference in this game. 
It's been something that has been spoken about now for many months, but it bears repeating every time we talk about Huddersfield. But it is an incredible state of affairs for a club to have gone from a playoff final to on course for relegation in the space of a few months. But that's where Huddersfield find themselves. The past summer has been an absolute disaster and it could haunt Huddersfield for years to come. Carlos Corbran just wanted to be backed. He said, he said to the board, let's build upon this amazing season we've just had. But they said no, and he walked off. Maybe they had to do that for financial reasons, but for the club to be where it is now is simply inexcusable. If they were to go down, which I must say, I think they're now the most likely to do, they could be in League One for a long time. It's a difficult league to get out of, and you only have to ask any of the big sides down there about that. But the club is so poorly run. It has been so poorly run over the past nine months, I should say. And that doesn't breed confidence for me of them making an instant bounce back. Terrible appointments, appalling recruitments. It's not been Cardiff levels of poor ownership, but it has been an absolute omni-shambles of a few months when it comes to Huddersfield Town. Another huge game in the relegation battle saw Blackpool v Rotherham end goalless. I feel like Blackpool really needed to win this. They've had two good first games under Mick McCarthy, but this has got to be seen as a missed opportunity, hasn't it? It certainly has, um, especially with the quality and the way they ended the game against Rotherham. But you also have to take into account that they were missing some key players. Obviously, Charlie Good and Curtis Nelson were missing from this game, albeit they did keep a clean sheet, so they couldn't have been that um that's sorely missed. It was just mainly their attacking play and, and lack of clinical edge that really um, that really held them back. And when I say clinical edge, it's not necessarily putting chances, but also creating chances as well. They lack that um, decisiveness in the final third. And it really was a game of, of relatively few chances. I think it was Benny's chance at the end of the game that was, was maybe one of the best ones. Jerry Yates had a, had a one-on-one as well. Um, and especially with that Blackpool with the additions they made in January, you are expecting a little bit more. I know some fans have been a little bit um, frustrated with what McCarthy's tried to get out of them so far. And I, I understand that. Um, but I think it's it's a case of allow them to build. But you are right. It's probably a missed opportunity, especially at home against a, a relegation rival, not to pick up a win. Yeah, I agree with all of that, Justin. Rotherham unbeaten in four now, including draws with Watford and Sheffield United. I think Matt Taylor will be quite happy with... How they're going. You've got two teams now in Cardiff and Huddersfield who can't win for love nor money. So from a Rotherham perspective, I'll be looking at that and be thinking, as long as we keep getting points at the at the rate that we're going at, we'll slowly be creeping away from those teams who are looking more and more tied to the bottom three. Look, I think Rotherham's transfer business in January was brilliant anyway. Losing Dan Barlasa is a blow, but the players they got in more than make up for that loss. They're bedding in well too, and that's been shown in the last few games. I wouldn't be surprised to see them stay up quite comfortably, but they have got to keep ticking over with these results. Mm. They had a dodgy spell around Christmas, and that could always spring out of nowhere and come back, couldn't it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I think I think that's the danger that Rotherham needs to just try and pull away, pull themselves away from. Um, pull themselves away from. Um, I think the fact that they've kept two clean sheets in a row, um, obviously drawing against Sheffield United and keeping a clean sheet against them is, is going to be a massive confidence, confidence boost. Um, and I think the last four games is some little unbeaten run they've been on really should be a benchmark of what they should achieve. Um, and I still don't think they've managed to get the best out of their new additions just yet. I mean, Jordan Hugo's not really had too much of an impact. So from an outside perspective, you are thinking there is a lot more to come from them. Um, and you are right. As long as they're picking up points and, pulling themselves away or keeping themselves at arm's distance, um, at arm's length, I should say, from the bottom four, as it is at, as it is right now, um, then, they're, then they're certainly in a good point, uh, position. But for me, yeah, they, they've still got a couple of gears to go through, I think. Um, they've still got a couple of players that, that they can improve, uh, that can improve, uh, I should say. Um, so, yeah, certainly got a lot, a lot more to come from them and I expect them to to reach a couple of, um, a couple of new gears, I should say. Cardiff won, Middlesbrough three. Cardiff weren't awful here, but were just utterly outclassed by Middlesbrough, weren't they? Yeah, I think the frustrating thing is from a Cardiff perspective is you, you're going into this game and you, you're thinking, just not quite good enough again. And I think that's the frustrating thing. And it's been the difference in a lot of games is they've just not been quite good enough. 
Um, and if that's been a repeat issue throughout the season, then there's clear things that need addressing. Um, but they were outclassed. They created a good number of chances. But unfortunately, when you've got a team like Borough in the form that they're in, they're going to score, they're going to take their chances. So you need to be a lot more resolute. And, and, and Cardiff weren't. They were a lot more open. They created chances. But in doing so, they left themselves open as well. Um, but uh, Borough were, were, were aggressive. They were exactly what you want from an opposition team, especially away from home. They took the chances. They were they were fantastic. But yeah, Cardiff, um, I'm not going to say it's a missed opportunity because they come up against a team in form. But this was a game where they, they need to pick up a result in, especially at home. Five straight losses in all competitions now for Cardiff. Sabri Lamushi still yet to win a point since being appointed there. The thing I'm most amazed by with Cardiff is the fact they still aren't in the bottom three. It feels <laughs> like they've been rubbish now for a long time, but still aren't in the relegation zone. Maybe that says something about the standard of the teams down there. I don't know, but I did see small signs of optimism here for Cardiff. New signing, Sonny Cabba and um, Callum Robinson may have something of a partnership forming, which could be huge because they have been woeful going forwards. Having said that, there doesn't seem to be any positivity at the club. And I've seen a lot of fans resigning themselves to relegation recently. It goes without saying that it is a big few weeks for Cardiff. But I feel like the next couple of games are massive in terms of which way they go under Sabu Lamushi. Because if they can build upon these small bits of positivity that I've seen so far under Lamushi. When I say small bits of positivity, I'm talking about a flame that is, it looks like it's going out, but there's still embers there mm -hmm. and could spark back into life with a bit of help. And maybe Sonic Haber is that help. I don't know. Um, because at the moment he's looking very bleak for Cardiff, but there are bits there that I can see something with. It's just about whether that actually becomes anything significant. Unlikely at the moment, I'd say. All of Middlesbrough's front three got involved in the goal-scoring action here, which is a bit frightening, really, isn't it? Finishing off chances was a bit of a problem for them early in the season. Now they've got the taste for blood. Well, absolutely. Um, I think if you look at Marcus Force's goal, how instinctively he took it, you can tell he's he's banging for me. You know, he's got a five and eight, for example. Riley McGree took his goal brilliantly as well. He he's hit a level, and again, he's probably not a player we we're shining too much of a light on, but he's been really significant in that final third because whilst he's not a goal scoring player, um, the way he carries the ball, the way he brings other players into play, the way he links up. Is so influential for that final third, um, and the way that um, the way those those front three or front four with 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 Akpom in there, um, and it, really important with how they were, not interact, but in, um, link up with each other and, and essentially play. Um, and it's the same with Cameron Archer. Again, was was a massive threat, and he took his goal brilliantly. Um, it is it is a frightening prospect for um, that front four. Um, obviously, excluding Akpom in this one, so front three um, to be hitting the form they are. Uh, Again, if you're looking at that from an outside perspective, from a from a, an opposition perspective, especially um, teams in and around them in the top six, you will be looking nervously at Borough as, as, as a potential, um, well, direct threat to uh, to your promotion bid because they are they are in a lovely run of form and a great gear to be in. You've got that front three who look like they're getting into form. You've got Chubrak Pom, who's the most informed player in the division, without a doubt. And then you've got Matt Crooks, who's coming off the bench and has found mm -hmm. form himself this season. It's pretty ridiculous, really, isn't it? In a normal season, Middlesbrough would be a top two side, wouldn't they? I don't think it's completely out of the question that they still could be. But if it wasn't for Burnley and Sheffield United... They'd be looking very good right now, despite mm. the massive false start they had. I mean, 10 wins from 12 league games in a normal season. That's promotion for, yeah. isn't it? And they don't look like they're stopping anytime soon. They have got a very interesting midweek game, Justin. Sheffield United away. We'll have a chat about that shortly. But the top two look like they were miles ahead of everyone else. And I suppose they still are when you look at the table. However, Middlesbrough have kept the pressure on them and said, you guys better not let up because we still fancy it. And I don't think you can rule out the possibility of Millsborough running it very close between now and May. But as I say, there's still a lot of leg work they've got to do in making up on the uh, top two of 
quite a big advantage. But I say top two. It's Sheffield United, who they may potentially mm-hmm. catch up with. Because Burnley are out of sight at this point, aren't they? A Mark Sykes goal saw Norwich lose 1-0 away at Bristol City. Norwich, 62% possession, but just one shot on target. Very uninspiring, Justin. <laughs> it was. Uh, and I will say this, by the way, I predicted this as a Bristol City win. Um, I got 100% in my, my preview um, predictions this week. I'm I'm absolutely taking that. I'm absolutely gloating, and I'm absolutely calling myself as a championship expert because it doesn't happen very often. Um, but absolutely, Bristol City deserved the win here. Um, Norwich were were blunt. They were bland, um, and they are. And the issues that are present under Dean Smith um, are coming back to the fore. I thought those those first two away games under Wagner were pretty much a flash in the pan and, and that's turning out to be the case. Um, he's, he's experiencing the same issues with this Norwich team that, that Smith did. Um, I think you, we put it brilliantly a couple of weeks ago, the club needs a soft reset. It needs, it needs fresh, fresh legs in there. And I did a little bit of background research. They did the same thing. I think it was in 2017 when the likes of John Ruddy, Cameron Jerome, um, Johnny Housen, a couple of others, they all left. Um, and it, and it, um, it meant a new guard in coming in, uh, coming in under under, under Daniel Fark, and that is essentially what uh, Norwich need to do again in the summer. They need to allow those other players, or older players that were brought in under Fark, to, to to move on because they are getting on a bit as well. The likes of Cruel, Puky, Hanley. Um, so it is it is an opportunity for a reset, and I think Norwich need to go through that again because this game sh- showcases exactly um, what needs to happen. They were blunt, they were bland, they were boring, um, and they look absolutely dire without a Buendia type character in that midfield there's no zest there's no flair there's no um what's the word I'm looking for not creative what there's not x factor x factor exactly there's just not that link up play there's just something missing in that midfield that is not quite making that attack coherent at any point um and without it I just can't see Norwich challenging in the top six at all I love finishing off your sentence, sentences, Justin. It makes, <laughs> makes me feel like a proper, like you're really my podcast husband in that respect. Um, <laughs> we, we have got to remember, David Wagner's Huddersfield weren't known for being the most creative team in the world. So perhaps this is a David Wagner problem as well as a Norwich problem. And the, this team looks so far off being promotion contenders right now, doesn't it? Compare them to the teams above them. You can easily pick six or seven teams who look more likely than them currently. Norwich were incredible in those first two games under Wagner, but the honeymoon period seems to have finished already. They simply cannot win at home. That's That was a problem under Dean Smith and Wagner is only the one game to be fair to him, but didn't look like that was going to ever get resolved against Burnley. And they're now losing to a Bristol City side away who have only won once at home since October. And that's where Norwich have really flourished on their travels this season. Uh, look, David Wagner was brought in to get the season back on track. I wasn't convinced by the appointment and I remain far from being so. I keep seeing Norwich fans saying the squad's not good enough now. I think it definitely needs a refresh and certain players who have been good servants in the past need moving on. But this squad is still good enough. Do mm-hmm. Norwich fans really think this squad is worse than, and I mean, no no disrespect to these teams, of course, but Luton, Millwall and Sunderland, two, three teams off the top of my head. No chance. Norwich have got a better squad than those three teams. A good manager will be able to get a tune out of this squad. And I remain very unsure that David Wagner is a good manager in that respect. And we should give Bristol City some praise, Justin. They've mm-hmm. gone unbeaten in, I think, is it eight games now in all competitions? Ticking over very nicely. They are, and they were certainly worthy winners here. And it, wasn't, it wasn't a game full of chances, but Bristol City, obviously, more clinical side, they took their chance with Mark Sykes. Um, and they and they controlled the game and, and they kept Norwich out. I think that's the key thing here. Norwich were really poor going forwards, but Bristol City made them look poor going forwards. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and suggest that Bristol City can be playoff contenders, mainly because of their inability to um, have a sustainable period of games. We know how streaky they can be. But if they can keep players fit and inform, maintain consistent uh, consistency in results and performances... I don't see why they can't be a contender. And when I say contender, I don't see why they can't be eighth or ninth come the end of the season and be within three points of the game to go. Um, there's a lot that needs to fall into 
place, which I'm not overly convinced by. But if this is a benchmark performance for Bristol City, um, you know they were threatening turning possession over. They were weren't free flowing going forwards, but they were very professional. They were very pragmatic. They were very street wise. Not something we've said a lot about Bristol City this season. And that tells me that they can be mature. They can mature throughout the second half of the season and they could be in within a shout of the top six. I'm not buying into it massively, but I don't see why they can't be um, in the conversation with three games to go, for example. Just, you know, all I've got to say is, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice. <laughs> <laughs> and Justin Peach may be falling into his own trap once yeah. again. <laughs> Sheffield United unbeaten in 13 now after beating Swansea 3-0. He's someone who's had a lot of airtime from us on this podcast, Justin, but this was an absolute Ollie Norwood masterclass. I like to think of this as a meeting between the two past masters in the championship, Norwood v Matt Grimes. But boy, oh boy, did Norwood win this one. For the championship football purist, he is extraordinary. An amazing passer, whether that be creating chances, retaining possession, switching the play. He has got it all in his locker in that respect. But to be so proficient at the defensive side of the game too is miraculous. The underlying data for him this season is bonkers. Absolutely Mm. mad. And I'd go as far to say that he's having a Alexander Mitrovic standard season as far as they go for deep-lying playmakers. Let's make that very clear. He is just a brilliant footballer. And I think that's really been showcased this season. He's just remarkable at all aspects of the game and is the dream midfielder for a championship club like Sheffield United. Uh, What else did you make of Hecky's boys, Justin? There's a couple of things I wanted to pick out, actually, and I'm I'm glad you've coined it like that. Um, Firstly, has Sander Berg ever done anything that doesn't look glorious and composed? His goal was just so fantastically placed and side-footed into the corner of the net. It was brilliant. I thought Jane Boga was fantastic throughout. He was key to a lot of the goals. And Jack Robinson's goal was basically a replica of how he tackles. It was just just 100% <laughs> wallop. Full commitment wallop. Jack Wallop Robinson is probably the way you should be describing him. Um, and the final thing, it's not really game-related, but Paul Heckenbottom did his post-match presser in a shirt and jumper, which um, it really threw me off massively. Like It was just weird seeing it. I, I can only remember seeing him in tracksuit and coat so seeing him in smart wear was um really off-putting and, and quite uh, quite upsetting for me actually okay well i'm sure you can get over it justin um you've got a big clash coming up in midweek sheffield united v middlesbrough middlesbrough are 10 points behind quite a big gap in the race for automatic promotion i'd be a bit nervous though if I was a blade, Justin, they haven't been—they haven't been playing amazingly recently. The win against Swansea was comfortable, but it's the first time in a while that I think that's been the case. Middlesbrough are flying, as we know, and I doubt Michael Carrick has given up hope on crashing the top two party. Plus, the pressure's off them, isn't it? No one is expecting Middlesbrough to get in the top two at this point. It's still a long shot at this point. So, with that being said, all the pressure is on Sheffield United, isn't it? And this is the case where you look at them and say, what's your nerves like, lads? Well, they expect their points gap to be a healthy one anyway. Um, And I think because of how professional they are and how focused they are and have been all season, it might not be entering their mind at the moment. Um, But then again, if you consider Borough's form and, and their potential, obviously Cameron Archer has just got up and running with a goal. Certainly going to be more goals from him. Um, they are very proficient defensively as well. It does make you a little bit nervous, but I would hope that that points gap is enough to at least see them through, or at least make them confident to see them through. But you can't run anything out in the Championship. And obviously, from a neutral perspective, no disrespect to Sheffield United, but you want Middlesbrough to catch them up. You want it to be an exciting end to the season. You want Sheffield United to be very nervous. Um, Obviously, their supporters won't want that, but I want that as a championship co-host of a podcast we want something to talk about in the automatic promotion race in Middlesbrough at the moment the closest to it yeah they definitely are and Justin Swansea's season seems to be very quickly unraveling at an alarming rate doesn't it what have you made of their recent form 
Well, they were architects of their own issues at times. Um, I think, it, I can't remember which goal it was. It might have been the third goal, Carl Norton allowed, um, I can't remember who it was. It was Bogle, I think, actually, just to run through him. Just ran through him like he wasn't there. Experienced defender in Norton as well. Just wasn't strong enough. And, it, and what it tells me is that that squad desperately needed recruits. It desperately needed leadership. It desperately needed um, experience. And without it, they're not going to get anywhere near the playoffs. They've got a good selection of players, but without those extra elements, um, they're they're massively missing something. They were outclassed by an experienced team here. Not necessarily a a better team in terms of technical ability, but certainly a more experienced team. Um, And that really shone throughout the game. I thought Ollie Cooper looked good. Joel Pirro looked dangerous at times. Matt Grimes was caught in possession, but he was still tidy um, as well. But unfortunately, there's just so many holes in that team. It's just, it needed plugging and it wasn't and this is the, the reward of it. I was having a look back at our league table predictions from the start of the season, Justin, and remembered that I had Swansea in my top six, which I seemed to just eliminate itself from my own mind. Um, but looking back on it, I, I think I, I, I can completely understand the optimism I had with them at the start of the season. Russell Martin's a fantastic young manager in itself. That's that's something I'm, I, I don't even need to explain further. But you look at the team, you've got Matt Grimes, who is one of the best players in the division in his position. Joel Pirro, one of the best strikers in the division based off last season. You've got Ryan Manning, who's been one of the best fullbacks in the division this season. But the rest of the squad, there are some good players in there. Some players who I think would get in the majority of championship sides, but then there are others who other areas where you just look at it and go, could just use that bit more. And that's why I think the frustration from the January transfer window is so much more palpable than it would have been. I mean, losing someone like Obafemi in the window anyway is obviously a big blow. He needed to go because he wanted to go, but not replacing him just emphasizes that blow even more. And Swansea, this has been such an underwhelming season for them in so many different respects. Mm. And I look at them and think this could have been a very, very exciting season for them, but it's been anything but. And now you look at it thinking, where does this club go next? The fans are very unhappy with the board. We've had so many DMs on the uh, second tier Twitter account recently from Swansea fans asking us to retweet a petition against the board. And that's where that's why Swansea City right now, the whole club is at a crossroads about where they go next because this season has been very, very underwhelming and uh, they're now at a crossroads, aren't they? Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about a huge victory for Birmingham City on Friday night and also a huge win for Millwall too. Back to the second tier podcast on Friday night. Birmingham victorious in a West Midlands derby against West Brom. They won 2-0. What a free kick by Hannibal Justin. He was just he was marvellous in this whole game, actually, wasn't he? Yeah, well, it was fantastic. We know how busy he can be. We know how um how well he how how well he does breaking up play, how good he is at turning possession over. Um, but this game really was a, a testament to that, and it just showcased his ability brilliantly. And I think, um, I think he will be within a shout of um, maybe being in Eric Ten Hag's plans come the summer because he fits that uh, midfield mould with that high press and getting in the opposition faces quite nicely. So certainly will be a useful squad player should he um, should he continue his development at, at the trajectory it is. But that free kick was absolutely splendid. I know a lot of people will make a you know they'll talk a lot about the. Um, David Button's positioning but let's not take any way, anything away from the technique and, and pinpoint accuracy of putting that ball into the corner from Hannibal brilliant was brilliant yeah I, I, I've i seen a lot of people criticise David Button for that and maybe he does deserve criticism but for Hannibal to you know capitalise on it and put it where he put it I don't think he could have placed it really any better apart mm. from you know, sticking it in the top bin um, <laughs> but to have the whip on it as well is just a, a magnificent bit of skill from him and I love him as a player mainly because he's so technically brilliant but he also loves 
kicking people and <laughs> massive shit house. But to think he's 19, yeah, I, I've seen so much promise from him as a player, and I think he is someone who's got a big, big future um, in European football. Um, Birmingham were excellent, though, weren't they? They were fairly comfortable against one of the best teams in the division. And if you told someone who had no idea about the championship and said to them, one of these teams has been struggling recently and the other one has been flying, you would have said it was Birmingham who had been flying. It makes you wonder why they can't play like this every week. Because Janini Bikuna, oh a very gosh. inconsistent player. Yeah. But when he's on it, he is brilliant. And this game was a prime example of this. That This is the best I've ever seen Janino Bakuna play in the championship. Yeah. That midfield of Chong, Bielik, Hannibal, we've said before, it's arguably the best in the league. That point still stands. Defensively, they've been a lot tighter since Eustace has come in. They were in so much control for this game. And if they played like that every week, or even close to that kind of level, they'd be a playoff side. That's why you've got to ask, why doesn't it happen each week? But it's a game that shows this team's capable of this kind of thing. And Eustace just needs to figure out how to make them play like that more often. I don't think West Brom were awful here. They definitely weren't at their best. I think we can all agree on that. But I don't think they played badly. It didn't help having a goalkeeper in David Button who was so unbelievably shaky throughout this game, wasn't he? Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to criticise Button too much but it is difficult to find um, excuses for him or excuses for him to, to remain in the starting 11. Um, his positioning, I thought his positioning for the free kick was was fine. I thought he was in the middle of his goal. Maybe he could have positioned the wall a little bit um, further to his left um, so that the, on the camera it would have been to the right. Um, but his reaction time was just, just terribly slow. Um, I think I said on, on Twitter that if he'd, have, if, he'd have had, if he'd have had his morning coffee, he'd have got that. Um, it was frighteningly slow, his, his reaction. And then obviously he flapped at the um, the corner. The timing of the two goals played massively into Birmingham's hands. Um, it takes the wind it took it takes the wind out of West Brom's sail for obviously taking the lead and then getting a second early uh, early or midway through the second half takes the game away from West Brom. And, and unfortunately that that was the case here. As you say, I don't think West Brom were poor, but the timing of both goals just took the wind out of West Brom's sails eventually had no chance um, getting back into the game. Yeah, he seems like a confidence goalkeeper. Now, we've heard of confidence strikers on plenty of occasions, but you can't afford to have a goalkeeper like him who is, you know, so low on confidence right now. And a side like West Brom should really have a better number two than him. I mean, how many points has he cost West Brom mm. this season? It's you can't make excuses for it, really. And the scary thing is, Steve Bruce headed into this season with him as their number one, which is just mind-blowing to look back on. But I do feel sorry for him, but he's had his fair chance, hasn't he? Alex Palmer's yeah. out injured back now, and he's had a chance to redeem himself, and he's not done that. So I, I know they've got young Josh Griffiths, haven't they? Who yeah. is quite highly rated. I'm surprised he hasn't been given more of a go, because I think if he's not being given a go here with... David Button playing as he is, then I don't know what that says about Griffiths. First and second half goals from Duncan Watmore and Ollie Burke gave Millwall a 2-1 win away at QPR. Two players were very similar, actually, aren't they? Both very promising when they were younger. Then their careers have kind of gone by the wayside, have moments in them that show that there is a quality player in there. But both being at Millwall now, I kind of think they could be quite good at Millwall. Not realise their once amazing potential, Justin, but could show that they are very good footballers. I think the weird thing about both of them is they both come across as still being incredibly raw. Um, you got Duncan Watmore, who you look at his finish against QPR, so emphatic. I don't think he's got a side foot in him, um, which isn't a criticism. He's very good at what he does. But he still comes across as an incredibly raw player. And that's um, that's probably one of the key factors in that is, is the amount of injury problems and, and lack of games he's had um, in his career. And it's the same with Ollie Burke. He's, he's bounced around from pillar to post with different clubs and he's not really settled. And, you know, he had that one spell at Forest where he was exceptional for six months and he got a big money move to Leipzig and it just didn't work out. Millwall have a very good reputation of, of refining very raw players and making them into very talented players. Duncan Watmore's probably at the wrong end of his career. 
Um, but he's still going to be a very useful player for Millwall for a couple of years at the very least. And Burke's still got uh, quite a few years ahead of him. Obviously, he's on loan, but you know, there might be a permanent position there for him come the end of the season should he perform well. Um, but for, for Millwall, they've got two very handy players with two very good skill sets who could have a massive impact in the playoff ball. Yeah, Millwall are that kind of club, aren't they, who love picking up players yeah. who are, you know looked down upon by other clubs um, and trying to shine them up and make them into something special. And it has worked in the past. You won't rule out these two from doing that, would you? Even though Ollie Burke in particular has had a very unconvincing career so far. Um, QPR, just in my Lord, <laughs> I was very excited when Neil Critchley came in and I thought that was an excellent appointment. I still think it could be a good appointment, but it's difficult to, to deny things are going quite badly for them right now, aren't they? The point that I always made before with them was that when one of Elias Chair or Chris Willock isn't playing well, QPR tend to struggle. And that's been particularly evident in recent weeks. Elias Chair doesn't seem to have been informed since the World Cup, mm-hmm. despite not playing. Chris Willock's had a really poor season compared to how good he was last season. But then other players have also dropped off as well. Rob Dickey was one who I think has not played as well as he has done in the past. And going forwards, they're struggling. Um, I just I, I just don't know what to make of QPR right now. And it's a season where that's an, they're another club that have been very underwhelming. It's... it's um... It's blowing away. It's faltering away, isn't it? It's disappearing without a trace. Um, probably not the worst thing in the world because of the circumstances of an under Beal, but QPR fans will want to see a lot more, especially under Neil Critchley, who's a new manager. They've not had their new manager bounce, which is what brings optimism for supporters, and I think that's the key thing that's working against Critchley here. Um, the uncomfortable stats are it's, it's eight goals scored in the last 15 games. It's one win under Neil Critchley. One win in 16 in all competitions um, and over 112 days since their last home win, uh, which is seven games. It's it's uncomfortable, certainly is uncomfortable, but I I rate Critchley to turn it around um, and I will reiterate and I, I do stand by the, the, the verdict that, um, that the, the, the issues started under, Mike, uh, under Mick Beale um, and Critchley has just come in at the wrong time. Um, I, I expect him to turn it around, but probably needs a little bit more time yeah I think he needs more time but QPR fans I suppose in a way understandably are wondering what on earth they're doing right now with Critchley in charge so yeah nervy times there and to be honest I wouldn't be completely surprised if they did sack him just because the form you mentioned there Justin is not great is it? Mm. Uh, and Nathan Teller-Hattrick saw Burnley beat Preston 3-0. I thought this might be a tricky game for Burnley considering Preston's away form. Somewhat of a local derby as well, I suppose. Also, Burnley can't keep winning forever, <laughs> can they? But they're now on the longest winning streak since Aston Villa in the 2018-19 season after winning 10 games on the trot now, which is just uh, that is just ridiculous, isn't it? Burnley looked at this near-perfect championship team and thought, you know what, let's make it even better. And they added in Ekdale to the team for a few million in January. Also decided to sign, you know, Lau Foster for multi-million pounds as a striker who's not really had a go yet. And you just look at it and think, just give it a rest, Burnley. We get it. You're really good. Stop showing off. It's just embarrassing for everyone else at this point, Justin. <laughs> it's the um it's they're like the older big brother who's really good at everything and you're just in the shadow aren't you um it's you know it's really frustrating and it's just like i'll oh, just piss off will you um just get promoted already go on um it's that sort of thing they are sickeningly good you know 10 wins in a row in a championship is just absurd seven clean sheets three goals conceded in that time <sighs> what what else can we say at this moment in time about burnley other than if you lose we need you to lose because we need to discuss we need to discuss something else because it is getting boring. But Nathan Teller uh, may as well bring him up because he scored a hat trick and absolutely fantastic for him. I don't know why Southampton didn't recall him because they certainly need reinforcements in that final third. Um, but it's much to to, to Bernie's um, Bernie's advantage because he's been exceptional and that hat trick was so well taken. Um, it just showcases quality and, and the ability that Bernie have. Yeah, someone made the point on Twitter that 
he's, Nathan Teller would be a really good signing for a team struggling in the Premier League this season. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Southampton. Um, yeah, bananas really that he's not been given more of a go in the Southampton team. Um, and I would also like to give a shout out to the person whose name I haven't written down. I apologise profusely for that. Um, who made a compilation this week of me praising Burnley. Um, and it is getting to the point now where I'm just having to go on the online thesaurus to find different ways of describing how good Burnley are. Because what can we say? 10 wins on the trot, Justin. They are just, they are a Premier League team already, mm -hmm. aren't they? And the only interest I've got with them now is whether they can break the 106 point record, which is always a long shot. But as the weeks go by, it's looking more and more likely, isn't it? Watford won, Blackburn won. Blackburn have gone from never drawing games to drawing a lot of games. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, to be fair, especially when it comes to, you know, Watford away. So I suppose that's a positive. I don't know about you, Justin. I'm getting more and more sceptical about Watford actually finishing in the top six. I think if you ask me right now, I'd still have them down as a top six side. But other teams are slowly looking more convincing and Watford are looking slightly less convincing. I think the main issue they've got at the moment is that inability to be sustainable in, in their attacking play. Um, they're not getting enough out of what is, I think, a very talented group of players. I know they've been um, recruited. A lot of the players that they've got now have been recruited in a very short space of time. It's going to take time for them to, to adapt. Um, but that being said, even before then, they weren't creating enough chances. And I think that's always been the main caveat that's hung over Slavin Bilic's head. Um, and that could be the downfall. Um, I, I think it, when you consider that Watford have probably sacked managers for less, I think Bilic probably is on borrowed time at the moment, especially with the investment that the Watford um, board have put into the January transfer window. If things don't improve quickly, Bilic will more than likely be sacked. They've got previous for it. I don't see why um, why it wouldn't happen based on the current run of form or current run of performances. I don't think they should sack Bilic, but no. you know, it's hard to disagree that Watford have sacked managers for a lot less. And if he were to get his P45 in the coming days, would anyone really be surprised? No, of course you wouldn't, because it's Watford. Um, I think Bilic is a really good manager. Um there were just problems with this squad that I don't think are going to get ironed out by sacking another manager. So, yeah, interesting times for Watford. And I don't really know what direction they're going in at the moment, whether they're just going to hang on to a, a top six place, whether they're going to get better now that João Pedro's um, getting back into the team or whether they may just fade away. Honestly, very difficult to tell. Uh, a late Patrick Roberts goal gave Sunderland a 1-0 win at home to Reading. It was starting to look as if Reading were going to get a great point until elapsing concentration cost them towards the end. I don't think Sunderland were at the best, but still well in reach of a playoff place, aren't they? They were knocking on the door. They kept Joe Lundley very busy. Um, but I, I can't help but think that maybe they were missing that lack of focal point in that final third. But that being said, um, they've got a very uh, talented attacking group of players um, that probably need to re-adapt to a, not a different style of play, but a different approach play in the final third. And I think we saw that against Reading. Um, they'll take the win massively. Uh, well, absolutely, I should say. Um, Tony Mowbray will maybe be disappointed with, with certain certain aspects of the game, but 1-0 win without a main striker um, and with a very good goalkeeper performance from from, from Joe Lumley, um, you'd, be probably, you'd be quite pleased, especially when home form's not been great in recent, well, this season at all. Coventry and Luton drew one all. Uh, anything on this one, Justin? Uh, draws fair result. Both keepers very um, in very exceptional form. Josh uh, Wilson Elbrand's red card was a very, very much so a very, very red card. Just absolutely walloped. I think it was a uh, Osho, um, which was yeah, it was definitely a second yellow and very naive from him. I'm just laughing at the idea of a very red card. What would that? <laughs> What would that be in terms of shades of red? Would it be like a kind of ruby or a sapphire kind of shade of red? Maybe it's got LEDs on the side, like that beam red when you do it, and it's got that. Mm. That's quite a red card. That's yeah, yeah. very red, it's very luminous red. red. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'd like to see that introduced more often to see how much <laughs> of a red card um, straight reds are. And finally, Stoke v Hull ended goalless. That was always going to be an unpredictable game, wasn't it? No, it's time for this. 
Yes, it's time for the news and the latest on Huddersfield's search for a manager after sacking Mark Fotheringham. The Suns say they're looking for someone to be in charge for the rest of the season, so not a long-term appointment like we were suggesting uh, last week, Justin. The favourite for the job with the bookies, the last time I checked, was none other than Neil Warnock. Now, this kind of annoys me because I feel like Neil Warnock is the answer to any poorly run club in the (laughs) fact that they know if things are going so badly they can just give old Neil a buzz and he may take the job whether whether he would come out of retirement now considering he seems pretty you know adamant that this is it for him I don't know but I don't know we'll have to wait and see on that one whether it is just the bookies you know going for the obvious option in that respect I mean the favorite before was Chris Wilder which is never going to happen in a million years so I feel like Warnock's a a lot more realistic in that respect Cardiff boss Sabli Mushi says Cardiff are trying to sign Connor Wickham the strikers a free agent after his deal expired at Forest Green Justin will Connor Wickham be the answer to Cardiff's problems going forwards no, and this isn't a dig at Conor Wickham. Their issues lie in creating chances, not putting them away. I know the controversy isn't great anyway, but they need to create more chances. I want to see Ruben Cobble involved in a lot more uh, games uh, between now and the end of the season. I think that's the issue. Uh, but I think Conor Wickham's fall was actually quite good at um, Forest Green Rovers, and he scored from the halfway line, which is um, mm. uh, well, it's an XG buster, isn't it? Which is which would work in Cardiff's favour actually, because they don't create anything. Yeah, Conor Wickham. I was very surprised to see the other day that he's not managed, I think, more than six goals in a season, maybe eight. Maybe I'm being harsh on him there, but it's definitely not double figures in a season. Now, of course, he has been really hampered with injuries throughout his career. But considering Cardiff need goals, that's not a great record. However, he he did have a fairly good record at Forest Green. I've got to remember that is League One, though. Wigan have confirmed Martin Kelly is going to be out for the rest of the season after suffering a serious knee injury in his first game for the club. Meanwhile, also an injury news, Blackpool striker Jake Beasley will miss the rest of the season after having surgery on a foot injury. Lee Catamol will be leaving Middlesbrough as a youth coach. That's interesting because he was reportedly a strong contender to be the next Middlesbrough manager before Michael Carrick came in. He's apparently very highly thought of there but he's going to be taking his coaching career to the next level with this move. So it'll be quite interesting to see where he turns up. And finally, Nathan Jones has been set as Southampton manager just three months after leaving Luton. Very interesting to see where he goes next, Justin, because I'm not really too sure. Yeah, it's, 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 I'd struggle to see where he does go next. Um, I think he needs to club that bridge, that gap between... Um, Luton with their budget with their, not low expectations but low expectations of them um, and maybe go somewhere not necessarily Stoke but of a similar size club with a similar size budget who are looking to make that next step up um, but I will point this out I, I do rate him as a manager and he probably has he hasn't helped himself with some of the batshit crazy things he's said um, over the last few weeks for Southampton but yeah that's that remains, yeah, that is what it is. I love Nathan Jones just because I think he's absolutely box office to listen to when he talks to the press. Some of the craziness that comes out of his mouth is just brilliant, and that's why people have been losing their minds on social media mm-hmm. with it, some of the comments that he's come out with. Um, the question marks obviously have to be raised about how he does for clubs other than Luton, now that he's had two jobs and where it's gone shit, (laughs) for the lack of a better term. Um, Maybe they were both bad career moves. I think you could definitely make that argument. But, you know, what next for Nathan Jones, I don't really know. Is worth saying he is a Cardiff fan. So it wouldn't (laughs) surprise me if that were his next step. Although I, I feel like that is a bit below him considering Cardiff seem on course for to be in League One next season. Right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. For a change of pace, Justin, I thought we'd do Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight where you're on your own for this one, although Great. you are very tired. So I, I don't think we've got high expectations <laughs> here. Someone asked Justin to name 
eight of a certain subject. And all he's got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if I would say name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs and he would say Villa, that's one down and then Newcastle, that's another down. But if he would say Weymouth, then he'd lose a life. Just then you've got three lives so you can get three wrong. Um, you can get two wrong and still win is what I'm trying to say. Um but as a so-called championship expert, and despite your tiredness, this should be a piece of piss. Chris Martin recently moved to QPR. He's the sixth highest scorer in championship history. So ignoring him, can you name for me the eight players who have scored the most goals in championship history since it was rebranded in 2004? Go. We'll add this. It'll be my best interest to sandbag this, ruin the quiz, say wrong answers, wrong answers on purpose, and just end the pod there but I'm not going to because I'm a professional um, that being said I've completely forgot what you said um, what was the question Jesus Christ the <laughs> <laughs> the top eight scorers in championship history excluding Chris Martin Jordan Rhodes correct 123 goals he's the second highest scorer in championship history the Nuge Dave Nugent Yep, Dave Nugent, 121 goals, the third highest scorer in championship history for the likes of Preston, Middlesbrough and Derby, amongst others. That's two down, six to go. Obviously, William Sharp, Billy Sharp. Yep, 130 goals. He's the leading goal scorer in championship history. You've got the top three, Justin, five to go. Ross McCormack. Yep, you've now got the top four. He got 120 goals. The only player to score 20 goals in a season for three different clubs at championship level. So there's your top four. Now you're on to the tricky ones, Justin. Mm. See, I always, whenever we pre uh, prepare for um, Diddy or Dinty, I always bring up the top scorers. Um, yeah, this is a this is a buggery. Um Chris Martin, I'm going to throw... No, that's stupid. I'm not going to throw Chris Wood in there. What an absurd, absurd answer. Um, don't do that. <laughs> ah, Christ. Alec, uh, Mitrovic. We'll go Mitrovic. Alexander Mitrovic is not there, unfortunately. So that's one life down. It's worth a shout. He's got a lot of goals. Um... Matai Troidini. Matai Troidini. Yeah, um, that famous, <laughs> the famous Czech Republic forward, Matai Troidini. Troidini's got 94 goals, meaning he's sixth on this okay. list. Quite a high tally considering he spent so many years in the Premier League, actually, yeah. but that is correct. Um, you've got three to go, Justin. Ooh. I was going to throw Rob Hulse in there, and I wouldn't. Um, got two lives left. Rob Earnshaw. No. He scored a lot of goals, though. Yeah, go on then. Why not? Rob Earnshaw is not there, I'm afraid. So you've got one life remaining, Justin. This is actually quite hard. Um, I just want to point out, I don't think Rob Earnshaw is anywhere near the that, top eight that, that, yeah, that surprises me because he scored a lot of goals for Cardiff didn't score any for Derby he scored a fair few for Norwich it's, it's all about longevity on this list Justin though. yeah um, now I'm trying to think of, of long serving strikers um, Christ a thrown yeah it's difficult I'm not, I'm I stand corrected Earnshaw had 87 goals and the, the line is 93 so yeah have um, some of that yeah, apologise to Rob Earnshaw, we'll send him a DM. Um, right, Rob. <laughs> uh, go on, name. Chris Wood, why not? I'm, I'm too tired to care now. <laughs> That's the spirit. Uh, Chris Wood is nowhere to be seen. Wow. He's 24th in the list of top goal scorers. He's got 78. Um, as I say, the barrier is 93. So quite a way off, mm. actually. Um, so that means, Justin, you've fallen foul to Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. This week, the players you were looking for, one of them fairly obvious, Lewis Graben, 112 goals. Can a free agent if anyone mm. fancies him? Um, 35 years old now, though. Um, number seven, he's actually a new entry into the top eight. It's Lukas Jukovic with 93 goals, recently stuck onto the list after scoring against Swansea last week. And then number eight, the final one on this list, is Daryl Murphy, also was... with 93 goals. 
Uh, very high on the list, and despite only scoring more than 13 goals once in a championship season. But there you go, Justin. Are you disappointed you didn't do better there? I'm fuming, actually. Um, target men never appear in these lists. Uh, in lists, in these lists. Um, so absolutely fair play to Djokovic and Daryl Murphy for for their prolificness. Incredible. And Dini. Yeah, he doesn't really count. He's but he's he's a bit different than a target. Man. He's got a bit more. Have some respect, Ryan. Okay. Not sure about that, but we'll leave that there. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Second Tier Podcast in a remarkable one-off episode for us where we're both absolutely knackered. I'm hilariously jet-lagged. Justin is recording in the middle of the night in, uh, in England. and But I, I promise that in our next three episodes, despite us being on opposite sides of the world, we will be recording at sensible times for the two of us. And hopefully that's good news for you, the listener, because listening back to this episode, this may have been mm. very well the worst episode we've ever done. <laughs> Alternatively, it might be the best. <laughs> Because, you know, we're, we're both tired and we're just like, we're, we're definitely in a lot of pain right now. And this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday to talk about all the midweek games in the Championship. So we look forward to seeing you then. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.